Hi, everyone. This is Jim McCarty, welcoming you to the LL Research Podcast in the Now, episode number 47. LL Research is a nonprofit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community. And towards this end has two websites, the archive website, llresearch.org, and the community website, bringforth.org. During each episode, those of us at LL Research form a panel to consider questions from spiritual seekers. Our panel consists of Gary Bean, Director of LL Research, and Austin Bridges, Assistant Director of LL Research, along with myself, husband of the late Carla L. Ruckert, scribe for the Raw Contact and President of LL Research. Each of us, a devoted seeker and student of the Law of One. We will, excuse me, we will be discussing questions that are sent to us from spiritual seekers around the globe. Our replies to these questions are not final or authoritative. Instead, they are generally subjective interpretations stemming from our own studies and life experiences. We intend this podcast to be a platform of discussion as we consider questions that often challenge us to articulate our own perspective. We always ask each who listens to exercise his own discernment and listen for her own resonance in determining what is true. If you would like to submit a question for the show, please do so. Our humble podcast relies on your questions. You may either send an email to contact at llresearch.org or go to www.llresearch.org forward slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Jim McCarty, and we are embarking on a new episode of LL Research's weekly podcast in the now. Is everybody here and ready to go? I am here. And I am here as well. Alrighty. Our first question today comes from Dalton via email. Dalton asks, what are some examples of ways that we can quickly and efficiently polarize positively? Is there any danger in rapid intentional polarization? Gary, what say you? Well, as to the first part of Dalton's question, um, <clears throat> service to others like its opposite polarity, um, does all of its work in consciousness on a backbone of will and faith? There is no polarization without will and faith. And really make no bones about it. This is work. It's disciplined work. It's work over time. And this path, as well as the negative path, um, well, I'm being redundant. I'm going to scratch that sentence. Let's get into will and faith. The will to focus your attention to consciously and intentionally make use of catalyst and to aim the self upon your chosen objective. I mean, there's think of all the intentionality behind all of that. You're not um, unconsciously just being pulled this way and that by life, blindly reacting to it. You're choosing. You're saying, this is what I want. Um, this is where I intend to go um, and so forth. And then the faith that the exercise of will, even though outcomes cannot be seen or known in advance, will yield results or fruit. The faith that the work that you do transpires in a context of support where no matter the surface appearances, all is well, all is working for you and with you, even in adversity. So how do you polarize more rapidly? I would say um, <clears throat> definitely not that I have the final answer, but examine and contemplate what it means to be of service to others and aim yourself upon that understanding and refine that understanding as you go discarding your outdated concepts. It is a process we all must go through. And in each and every moment, invoke and strengthen the faculties of will and faith. And I would be remiss, of course, not to mention meditation because there is no more powerful a tool in your own hands than to 
for effectuating your own transformation, for knowing yourself, accepting yourself, and so forth, than, than meditation. As to the dangers of rapid polarization, um, I think that as one opens and accesses the higher energy centers, one needs to have their lower house in some minimum working order. Um, one needs to have an inner discipline that is um, goes about life mindfully, we might say, a discipline of attention and focus that is really able to look at what's happening in your life and what you're experiencing and consciously analyze and accept and integrate that catalyst and a discipline that's sufficiently consistent such that um, you don't become massively imbalanced or led astray by strong catalysts. In other words, you have, like back to the word backbone, you have a backbone that um, um, is able to face what's happening. And uh, even if you get um, thrown by a tornado that came out of nowhere, you know how to engage the gears of your discipline and process it. And um, as the creator then is approached from the standpoint of the separate self, I mean, to say, as you really get up there in the higher chakras, then uh, a humility and a quietude are needed, um, a surrender of the personal will, uh, a fine-tuned receptivity, um, a less and less pretense of the personality self, trust, acceptance, faith, desire to serve, and a clean heart. <clears throat> All these are associated qualities. But um, as you get up there, um, are trying to transcend, as it were, the personality self. If you have unprocessed energies circulating in the lower chakras that are engaging in separation, say you have personal grudges or animosities or desires to harm or desire for egoic enhancement or gratification or, or on the flip side, inferiority complexes or issues of self-worth and so forth and then you attempt to get into those higher chakras um, whereby you might contact intelligent infinity intelligent energy then a, it's some sort of crisis may be precipitated and an inability for your system to sustain um, that inner conflict um, where you have a, a lack of unity of purpose some parts of you are grabbing that energy to um, engage in separation and some parts of you are trying to um, become humble and seek unity. But it, it's not so much about becoming perfect or removing all the shadows from the self or clearing out every chakra completely. It's about, it's about balance of the system. It's about having a system of loving discipline in place, a structure of seeking, a, a mode of living that is built upon spiritual principles of unity, of love, of light and service to others. Um, I, I won't get into it. <clears throat> I had previously written a bunch, but I'll skip it. Um, and 35.4 Rod does mention uh, how does invoke a reference rather one example of an entity who did uh, overly hastily open their polarization without due attention to the synthesized and integrated mind-body-spirit complex. And that entity went insane, and that entity's name was Hitler, Adolf Hitler. And uh, that would be an interesting discussion to have sometime. But uh, also in 75.23, Ra describes um, the entity, or rather the adept, 
uh, moving into the higher chakra work and they say the as the Adda becomes a more and more consciously crystallized entity, it gradually manifests more and more of that which it always has been since before time. That is the one infinite creator. And um, they say that the, such an adept lives more and more as it is. So there's a really dropping of, um, of pretense, of personality, of attachments and aversions and an ability to be with the moment and to not resist the moment to open the heart to all of life and so forth so insofar as you have blockages to that in your energy system in your lower chakras but you're attempting to get into those higher chakras without addressing those lower ones and without bringing your entire system into balance then there is that danger and ra indicates that um, um insanity may be one outcome or um who knows whether other self or other destructive behaviors might result even you know up to including disintegration of the personality itself but anyways i've yet for a long time uh back to you jim okay gary very good um austin how about you what do you think about this question uh gary gave a very thorough and uh, great answer so <laughs> many of my points might be uh going over what he already went over as we normally do but um Hopefully there's some different perspectives in there. Uh, I would preface my response with the uh, uh, quote that Ra gives from session 19, question 13. And uh, it seems unrelated. They're talking about why our physical bodies were weakened in third density as opposed to second density. And what they say is, this catalyst then is shared between peoples as an important part of each self's development, as well as the experiences of the self in solitude and the synthesis of all experience through meditation. The quickest way to learn is to deal with other selves. This is a much greater catalyst than dealing with the self. Dealing with the self without other selves is akin to living without what you would call mirrors. Thus the self cannot see the fruits of its beingness, thus each may aid each by reflection. So there's a general theme within the Law of One that interaction with and service to other selves is our primary method of growth and evolution within this incarnation. And I, I view polarization as being sort of the product, the, a natural product of uh, growth and evolution. Uh, so based on this idea, uh, my own thoughts would be that the quickest way to polarize would be to ensure that you have basically two things in your life. Uh, one would be a great exposure to a wide range of social interaction, and the second would be ample time to meditate and contemplate and reflect and synthesize all these social experiences gained. I think that uh, it would be important in order for polarization, as Dalton is referring to, to have both of these aspects present. Um, an abundance of social interaction without the necessary time to meditate would not allow for those experiences to be integrated. And an abundance of meditation or alone time with little social interaction would reduce the means of reflection and uh, reduce the catalyst that we have for growth. Uh, this social catalyst seems like it was uh, intended as our means for growth uh, by design. To go even further, 
perhaps uh, if you want to polarize quickly, social interaction, which is uh, far outside of your comfort zone, would quicken this process even more. Um, something uh, makes us uncomfortable because it challenges our biases and our distortions and essentially uh, gets to the heart of our own uh, uh, imbalances. When we feel emotionally charged by certain situations or people, they're just offering a type of reflection to us that can allow us uh, to dive deeper within ourselves and discover what is hiding the love from us in that scenario and to balance those emotions so that love becomes more readily available. And I think that is sort of um, a hallmark of positive polarization. Um, this social interaction doesn't necessarily have to be face-to-face, -face, I don't think. Um, I think you can gain this type of catalyst just by exposing yourself to uh, ideas and philosophies that trigger sort of emotional reactions or challenge our own sense of identity, maybe. Um, such as reading a book by someone that you know that you disagree with, or uh, listen to radio shows or podcasts about topics that you have sort of an aversion towards, or entertain ideas that just go against your very nature. I think that um, these emotional charges that these types of activities can generate uh, can be utilized as a powerful catalyst so long as it's done carefully and you're not sort of overstimulating your emotions and just getting angry all the time without processing it. Um, but uh, I think it's really important to note that um, none of this is really necessary for polarization. The way that our lives work, I think, the way that the whole system is set up is that our lessons are naturally drawn to us. And we will naturally, through living our lives uh, socially or alone or however we end up living our lives, uh, we'll be confronted with these things that will offer the opportunity for us to grow. And Catalyst will continue to be offered to us until we uh, get a hint and actually process it. So, um, as far as dangers of rapid polarization go, I say uh, maybe overextending yourself beyond what your original plan was and um, becoming overwhelmed by experience that you are sort of seeking out just for the sake of uh, rapid polarization. Uh, if it's a true desire to seek out consciously uh, this catalyst and polarization, then by all means, uh, I'd say give it a go. But if you're simply worried about polarizing because of uh, some cutoff date or a minimum requirement for uh, harvest or something like that, which are big themes in the Law of One that some people gravitate towards, I would say just stop worrying about those things and simply implement a disciplined spiritual practice like Gary was talking about. Uh, a practice of reflection and meditation into the life that you're already living and that's really all that you'll need for the polarization that you were meant to uh, achieve. And then uh, Gary mentioned one example of uh, somebody who polarized rapidly within uh, that Ra mentioned and I think that uh, they mentioned somebody else that we might be able to extrapolate as being uh, somebody who polarized too rapidly and Alistair Crowley um, uh, Ross said that he became overstimulated by his attempts at balance with the higher uh, chakras, I think, which I th 
uh, to me would be sort of a sign of rapid polarization or too rapid polarization. And uh, he's having to heal uh, in between his lifetimes from that overstimulation. Uh, so just throwing that one out there too. Um, throwing it back to Jim. Uh, what do you think, Jim? I think I really liked your answer, Austin, especially the part about uh, just relax into what you're doing and realize that you're going to polarize in a way that is appropriate for you. Um, and I would like to go maybe a little bit further with that. When he's saying rapid polarization, I'm, I'm wondering, is he trying to eat up, say, or wanting to eat up as much catalyst as possible, as quickly as possible? I think Ross said that the, the total efficient use of catalyst on the planet here is very rare, that we let a lot go. And I think that if we really wanted to polarize as efficiently as possible, rather than thinking of speed, we would think very carefully about the life we live. As Gary was saying, we need to be reflective on our experiences. We need to develop a way each day to begin to assess what's going on. Um, begin with a, a meditation. And uh, throughout the day, maybe you want to do it a couple more times to keep that attitude going. And at the end of the day, maybe you want to take a look at everything that's happened to you and, and try to use the balancing exercises that Ross suggested so that you can use what's come your way as efficiently as possible because what has come your way has not done so by accident um, each of us has made pre-incarnative choices that we want to learn certain lessons that will balance us in the overall sense in order to become the creator again we have to realize that we are what carla used to say it was a 360 degree being oh <laughs> hello come in <laughs> apologies <laughs> Did you have a car up there? You're honking the horn. <laughs> it was a vibrating phone. Oh, you sure it was just a phone? A, a greeting from a phone. Okay. Um, so we are 360-degree beings, which suggests we are all things. We are things of which, of which we approve, and we are things of which we disapprove. And we need to be balancing those so that we don't have to worry about approval or disapproval, that we are remaining in the center of love and understanding as best we can understand in the third density, but having an open heart for everyone around us. So with that said, I'll uh, go ahead and assume that uh, a little more information about how some people have done in their progress of uh, polarizing. In 35.1, um, Don asked about um, Franklin Roosevelt and uh, what his life pattern was like. And Ross said, the one known as Franklin developed very quickly up to red, orange, yellow, and green and began to work in the Blu-ray energy center at a tender age, as you say. This rapid growth was due, firstly, to previous achievements in the activation of these rays. That would be in other incarnations. So you start early in other incarnations, and then once you get here. Secondly, to the relative comfort and leisure of its early existence. Be born into a wealthy family. This is, I'm just joking here. Uh, thirdly, <laughs> due to the strong desire upon the part of the entity to progress. Now, this is again what Gary was saying about faith and will. Those are our two real strong allies throughout the entire incarnation for doing whatever it is we want to do, including polarizing and most especially polarizing. Because so much of what we're trying to do here is that which has to be taken on faith. You can't prove anything that's going on here, except maybe to yourself. Maybe after you've made a little progress and you see that you're now able to accept things that you weren't able to accept, maybe you can see that you are making some progress. 
But mostly, uh, Carly used to say, uh, it's not a good idea to try to take your spiritual temperature because we don't really know what kind of progress we're making. For example, in meditation, you may think you've had a rotten meditation, but you don't really know what's been going on completely in your meditative state, that uh, any meditation is better than no meditation. It's not possible to uh, not progress if you meditate. So what is important is the intention that you enter into the meditative state or enter into processing catalyst or enter into interacting with other people with the intention to do it with as much love as you can. And um, then if you weren't able to generate the love you'd hope, then in your balancing exercises, try to balance uh, where it is you felt you fell short. And then again, in 3414, um, Don is asking some questions about um, polarizing with respect to the, uh, the self in relation to war and rumors of war. So uh, down in the answer, Ra answers in one part by saying, one may find oneself in the situation of war and polarize somewhat toward the positive, activating orange, yellow, and then green by heroic, if you may, if you may call them this, actions taken to preserve the mind, body, spirit complexes of others else. You know, falling on a grenade. You die, the other one lives, you go to fourth density. Um, that's kind of the, the real quick one, but I don't think many people are going to sign up for that course. <laughs> Finally, one may polarize very strongly fourth ray by expressing the principle of universal love at the total expense of any distortion towards involvement in bellicose actions. In this way, the entity may become a conscious being in a very brief span of your time space. This may be seen to be what you would call a traumatic progression. It is to be noted that among your entities, a large percentage of all progression has as catalyst trauma. So if you really want to progress quickly, get ready to bear the brunt of trauma because we learn best through trauma. The reason, I believe, is because it takes more effort, more energy, more intention, more focus, more response, more balance, and more everything, more meditation, more friends, more help. When you're going through a traumatic situation, uh, maybe you've lost friends or family, uh, loved ones in a car accident, maybe you're, um, you're crashed in a plane and you're out in the wilderness and you've got to be saved, um, all kinds of things that can happen to you that look on the surface to be just drastic and traumatic and terrible are really opportunities to find the love in the moment. Remember, Ross said, the love is in every moment. There is nowhere there is not love. So we need to be looking for that love, even in the traumatic situations. And if we can't find it, well, maybe we need to add it ourselves because we have love that we can put into any moment. Um, furniture mover still working up there? <laughs> Man, um, that's a sensitive mic. Sorry. <laughs> um, now, the one last thing I wanted to say is concerning wanderers. Um, Ross suggested that the positively oriented wanderer chooses to hazard the danger of the forgetting in order to be of service to others by radiating love of others. If the forgetting is penetrated, the amount of catalyst in third density will polarize the wanderer with much greater efficiency than shall be expected in the higher, more harmonious densities. So if you happen to be a wanderer and... I think folks that are interested in the law of one is a really good chance. I would bet on most of them being wanderers. Then um, penetrating the forgetting is a very helpful thing to do. And again, meditation is probably one of the best ways that you can use to penetrate the forgetting and to try to figure out what it is you've come here to learn, what your lessons were. Uh, you could also use dream analysis. That's a, a great way of getting messages from your subconscious. Your subconscious mind is really where you want to look if you want to try to penetrate the forgetting because the subconscious mind connects you to everything that exists. 
Uh, you would go down through your conscious mind to the subconscious, to the racial mind, to the planetary mind, to the cosmic mind. You have an access there to the entire creation. And in that respect, then you have access to all the information you'll ever need to know. So again, uh, three suggestions. Meditate, meditate. Guess what the third one is? Meditate. <laughs> okay. any, any final uh, comments, guys? Yeah, I had one, and that's that, um, I, Jim, I think you brought up a really good point when you looked at the word efficient, and I had kind of been associating that word with speed, and um, that can certainly be an aspect of efficiency, but that's not all of what efficiency means, and um, I think it's, uh, if one were completely efficiently using catalysts, then that would mean that catalyst is not being uh, wasted. Catalyst doesn't have to constantly repeat itself like it does in nearly all of our lives because one is greeting catalyst as it happens uh, and making use of it and learning from it and processing it and then moving on, um, allowing the next round of catalyst to come. Um, one thing I wanted to add to um, how catalyst is used is that in 9310, Ra said that all uses of catalyst by the mind are those consciously applied to catalyst. Without conscious intent, the use of catalyst is never processed through, <clears throat> as Jim and Austin were describing, mentation, ideation, and imagination. <clears throat> um, so I think so much of the work uh, happens or is involved in just setting the in intent and acknowledging the catalyst, looking at it, bringing your attention to it, and so forth. But then Ra also describes that um, much work of processing processing catalyst happens on an unconscious or subconscious level. So I think the conscious mind you know, greets it and looks at it and analyzes it and ideates and imaginates and, and does what it can, but then um, takes it into meditation and sits in the silence and then allows that um, conscious sector of catalyst to sink down in to the roots of mind and allow the deeper work to happen there as it will. But that's my final thought. Austin, any final thoughts from you? I don't think there are any more thoughts left on the subject. <laughs> We've run them all out. Yeah, you guys uh, were both incredibly thorough, very impressive answers. Well, I think you were too, Austin. I think we really got the, the band together today and we, we riffed off each other. Indeed. Okay, uh, our next question is from Jeremy via Bring Forth. And he says... Incarnation seems to be an experience of trying to learn deeper, more subtle lessons without looking directly at them. That's an interesting statement. What swamps our minds in waking reality are an ever, never-ending array of details, all manner of discrete concerns about the character involved in the incarnation, whether it's work, relationships, diet, whatever it is. We seem to be wired to assign these concerns priority. These details distract us, wrap us up in their urgency, and demand our attention on them as first-class citizens of our consciousness. Of course, there are details that inspire catalysts, but what amazes me are the details that seem to have no meaning, details that seem to exist as filler to occupy our minds. But are these details important? And if so, in what way? How do we relate to them in a way that balances them with what really matters? What might be the function of these details when there seems to be simply them getting in the way? Austin, what do you think about details? Well, um, to me, I think that a key part of what Jeremy is asking about is that he says these details seem to have no meaning. 
information from Ra and the Confederation and many other spiritual teachings tell us that we live in a world of illusion. And it's uh, sort of an arbitrary statement, I think, to say that there are some parts of the illusion, or uh, as Jeremy says, details is what these parts of the illusion might be, uh, that have more meaning than others. Uh, and this is a really abstract statement, but uh, if everything is an illusion, then surely all parts could be dismissed as an illusion and not just some of them. And that's an oversimplification, uh, a gross oversimplification, but I think it's a part of the picture that I'm going to try to paint. So uh, each detail in our illusion is experienced within a moment. And as Ra says, uh, uh, the Mo the Ra says is the most usable exercise within our density uh, is that the uh, moment contains love and the exercise is to consciously seek that love in awareness and understanding. Whether a detail seems like a filler to occupy our mind, as Jeremy says, uh, or whether it seems to have meaning, or whether it seems to be an important source of spiritual catalyst, it all may be perceived in a moment, and that moment contains love. Uh, there's a quote from a famous Buddhist teacher uh, named Thich Nhat Hanh that I really enjoy. And uh, he says, The tangerine I am eating is me. The mustard greens I am planting are me. I plant with all my heart and mind. I clean this teapot with the kind of attention I would have were I giving the baby Buddha or Jesus a bath. Nothing should be treated more carefully than anything else. In mindfulness, compassion, irritation, mustard green plant, and teapot are all sacred. Uh, these types of details, I imagine, are the types of mundane filler details that Jeremy is referring to. Um, he mentioned diet, so uh, simply eating a tangerine or whatever it is that you eat or planting mustard greens. I'm not sure how many people plant mustard greens in a uh, modern world, but um, menial tasks such as that, and uh, such as washing the tea kettle is sort of the crux of his statement. Uh, perhaps the catalysis uh, that these things offers us isn't obvious, or um, as Jeremy puts it, they seem to have no meaning. But the meaning that they may offer us uh, might be simply a matter of perception and mindfulness. Maybe when confronted with such details, uh, we shrug and uh, go about tending to such details without thinking much about it and thinking, uh, this is just one of those meaningless details, and once I'm done with it, I can get back to what really matters. But that moment, intending to these seemingly meaningless details, uh, it contains love just as uh, when tending to what we feel really matters contains love. Uh, everything contains love, including those meaningless details. As uh, Thich Nhat Hanh expressed, uh, there's as much potential in sacred nature in washing a tea kettle as there is in bathing baby Jesus or baby Buddha. Uh, and that's not to say, I think, that there isn't some wisdom and tact in determining the direction of our attention and emotional energy. Um, we have a finite 
amount of attention and emotional energy to give within this incarnation. And so if we invested 95% of our emotional energy into washing a tea kettle, um, a lot of that emotional energy might not be being used as effectively as it could if we were uh, serving somebody in with as much emotional energy. Uh, and also, in my experience, going through transformation and having uh, stages of spiritual awakenings can cause a lot of these uh, so-called details or um, our attachment to these details to sort of just fall away and open up uh, new realms of seemingly different types of details. And uh, through that process, I think we'll naturally be drawn to some things rather than others uh, in our seeking of this sort of sacred truth. Um, but it seems to me like Jeremy is hinting at details that are present in our life no matter what. And no matter what stage of spiritual awakening we are at, there are details that just have to be tended to in our lives uh, and seem to be distracting from our path. And I'd say that these details are offering Catalyst as an opportunity to seek love in those moments and recognize this sort of sacramental nature of all things around us so that they no longer seem meaningless, but instead uh, have a sort of infinite meaningfulness. Uh, back to you, Jim. Okay, really good, Austin. Uh, Gary, how about you? What do you have to say about this? <clears throat> I think uh, Austin really got to the heart of the matter, which is you know, one's relationship with details and how details can be catalysts for mindfulness and, and doorways into the infinite and so forth. Um, and that's basically, though not as well articulated, where my own reply ends. Um, the beginning of my reply was <clears throat> started with uh, looking at Ra's 83.7, where they do seem to indicate that there are um, things which are more important, things which are less important. They even use the word detail. Uh, they say that during the process of study, which you may call the incarnation, <clears throat> regardless of an entity's awareness of the process taking place, the material is diffused, meaning one's pre-incarnational lessons, and over-attention is almost inevitably placed upon detail. Um, then they say the testing upon the cessation of the incarnative state is not that testing which involves the correct memorization of many details. This testing is rather the observing of the self by self, often with aid. In this observation, one seen, sees the sum of all the detailed study, that being an attitude or a complex of attitudes which bias the consciousness of the mind-body-spirit complex. So I read that to mean that there are things on the surface which are not terribly important for one's growth or learning or study, and there are things which are deeper. And the best, albeit incredibly poor, analogy um, that I can come up with, and like Austin was saying of, of his, a, a gross simplification of the matter, is that it might be akin to... Um, floating on the ocean and just being totally consumed by the many varied waves around one. Uh, the tallness of that wave, the, uh, the color of the, the other wave and attachment to those waves over there and, and on and on you can go where as meanwhile, um, what you're really attempting to get into and the work you're attempting to do is not to have your attention. So, consumed by what's happening on the surface but those you want to get into the deep undercurrents and um 
in the case of polarization, you want to harness those currents and aim them and unify them in one direction so that you're heading in service to others and service or service itself. So that upon the cessation of the incarnation, um, you can say that you have um, done sufficient work, that you do have a current. You are headed. You have biased your consciousness uh, on a fairly deep level. You have gotten into your essence somewhat, and um, you're polarizing. Uh, <laughs> use that analogy with uh, at your own risk. Um, but are these details important, and if so, in what way? So... Ross, uh, according to Ra, they're not important in and of themselves. Uh, but I suspect, though, that they are a part of a system that makes their density so effective a place for spiritual evolution. That is, by consciously choosing not to be overly consumed with or distracted by details, we are strengthening will and faith, um, kind of like a, um, lifting weights. We have some resistance. Um, it's so easy to let the attention be pulled or distracted but in order to not do so, we, it is literally an act of intention and, and will to harness our attention and choose what we would like to place it upon. Um, how do we relate to them in a way that balances them with what really matters? Um, I think that uh, distraction itself, and this gets into Austin's answer, distraction itself is a distraction. Um, I don't think details and distractions need resisted or fought against. Uh, rather, I think that the attention needs, as I was just saying, harnessed by a conscious entity, conscious of what's important, conscious of what matters, and then directed therein. Um, and I think that through this process, that that which is unimportant will naturally fall away, either disappearing altogether or simply not gripping the consciousness so tightly or or being related to, as Austin described, of uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, being related to with mindfulness and with a sense of the sacred. And uh, finally, what might be the function of these details when they seem to simply get in the way? Um I guess I just kind of already spoke to that, but um, to make a little bit of commentary about our lives now as they're currently configured, I think to some extent we must grapple with details. They details are woven into the fabric of our of our modern lives, and our societies have made details um, important if you are to live and survive and participate on um, any level in the society. I think um, if one's goal is to reduce detail or remove it, uh, a life of simplicity is possible, but in this world, exceedingly difficult. Uh, personally, I admire those who are able to strip it down to the essentials and live there. And I um, have, am in my own life, actually, attempting to engage or rather disengage from details and to simplify somewhat um, but otherwise, I don't know how to live in this world um, and not meet the great variety of demands that the environment places upon you without just having a lot of your day sometime or a lot of your mind soaked up. I think it's, it, it is possible with um, enough discipline and meditation to do what needs done, um, see to the chores, the demands, the details, but meanwhile have your center of focus or attention residing um, in the moment and not being pulled away from it. In fact, uh, in reply to the previous question, I was looking for a raw quote and I came across one where 
they say the adept um, is is doing less and less work on an outer level, but and moving on an interior level. While Jim's replying, I'll see if I can dig that one up. But uh, that's my reply. Okay, very good, you guys. Uh, I think you pretty much covered the spectrum of details there in great detail. Um, in 84-7, uh, Don's asking about his friend Andre Puharich. He says, uh, Andre Puharich asks about the coming physical changes, specifically this summer. Is there anything that we could relay to him about that? I am raw. We may confirm the good intentions of the source of this entity's puzzles and suggest that it is a grand choice that each may make to, by desire, collect the details of the day, or, by desire, seek the keys to unknowing. Uh, Puharich had contact with uh, supposedly an extraterrestrial being that was giving him information about uh, the coming Earth changes, about when things were going to happen. And uh, he he put a lot of um, credence into that. He had uh, two watches, one uh, on the bottom of his wrist, the other on the top of his wrist, and when they uh, synchronized on the nine, then he was getting a message supposedly from the nine. And uh, his tape recorder would take off and start recording on its own. So he had a lot of phenomena happening in his life. And he really liked puzzles. He really liked riddles. He felt that most of the communications that we got that were worthwhile from extraterrestrial sources were in the form of uh, codes and riddles and that we had to untangle them that they just didn't give uh, information straight out. He thought that until he read the raw contact, and then he, he wanted to come and talk to Ra. But what this suggests from Ra is that um, the details of the day aren't as important as seeking the keys to unknowing. And uh, the keys to unknowing, I think, is what we're all after here, because the fact that we can't understand or really know anything for sure in this density means that we have to, again, go on... Uh, our will to seek and our faith that we will find something, that there is something out there to find or in here to find. Um, the creator is supposedly everywhere. So we take that on faith and we act as if that is true, which to me then would say whatever is happening to you, be it a seemingly a large scale event or a small detail of the day, could theoretically be looked upon as being a part of the creator so that this would give the details of the day uh, as much value as you happen to note in them that if they're happening to you if you're um, wondering why the um, the leaves are in your yard when they, they shouldn't be in your yard and, and when, well then you're concerned maybe with um, things that aren't as they should be they're in place you want to have things ordered and maybe you need to think about well why do I need so much order this uh, this is personal here, guys. I'm thinking, <laughs> thinking about all these. We know that. I was wondering who you might be talking about. <laughs> oh well, um, my own experience is what I know the best. So if you're looking at details that's happening in your life, there's probably a reason why they are. And if you've noticed the detail, especially, I mean, if you don't notice the details, then maybe they're not important. Maybe there's something that you can just slough off and forget about. But if you're noticing them, and especially if you're noticing them on a regular basis, and it's the same sort of detail. You know, the, uh, the sink isn't as clean as you want to get the sink. Um, your cats aren't doing exactly what you want them to do. They're not eating the right food and so forth. Uh, that is always a symbol for something else. I mean, sure, we need to be concerned about our cats, but um, maybe you have a, a real concern for creatures that aren't being sustained as they need to be sustained. And, and maybe that can be pointed towards uh, the people around you. Maybe you need to be giving more help to them too. 
So there's all kinds of ways of looking at the details that happen in your day. And so I would say it's a paradox. And Carl always said, if we run into paradox in our spiritual journey, that's that's just the nature of the spiritual journey. There's always paradox. So some details are important, some details aren't, and mostly the way it's determined is by how you respond to them. So I guess this could go back to that first question about how do you uh, polarize the most quickly and efficiently. Well, look at everything that's happening to you and look at it as an opportunity to learn something. Any final thoughts? Yeah, I've got one. Um, I think may speak for Austin, I'm not sure, but definitely speaking for myself and saying that I, I went into the question assuming that the word detail meant uh, necessarily that which was unimportant or of small significance or so forth. But I think it's a good point um, that you make, Jim, that uh, that which seems unimportant may in fact be important and something may be um, impinging upon your attention uh, because you need to pay attention to it and, it and because it's not simply a detail that needs brush to shine. <clears throat> um, and then to close, I had found the quote that I that was popping up in my head as I was talking uh, previously, and it's 75.23, and Ra says, the adept then begins to do less of the preliminary or outer work having to do with function and begins to affect the inner work, which has to do with being. Um, and I think the, the discussion of detail weaves into that to some extent. Uh, in that um, I don't think the adept as one progresses into Blu-ray and Indigo Ray and wherever one progresses, that uh, suddenly they don't have to pay bills per se or they don't have to get their car maintained or their house or tend to the functions of their, of their day. Um, I think they still do that work, but rather it's not – um, pulling at them. It might be a mechanical matter or, or um, you wouldn't want to use the word mechanical as it pertains to a human relationship. But it, it, it may be just uh, something of the business of the day that needs uh, taken care of. But um, meanwhile, as that outer work is happening, what the attention is really focused on is the inner work of opening the heart, of getting into being, and then relating to the outer work from that inner standpoint. And uh, as uh, Austin was describing of uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, um, and as Jim was saying, is seeing everything as an opportunity, treating it with a sense of the sacred and the mindful. And uh, I will close by saying Jeremy replied to a political question via email. I sent him a while back, and I never thanked him or never replied to that email. So I'll use this opportunity. Thank you very much, Jeremy, for that and this, these questions. Okay, Austin, any final thoughts? Um, just I guess if I can do this really quickly, the two aspects that Gary just mentioned and that you had just brought up about the idea that perceptions are always pointing to something deeper. I think the idea of inner work and outer work is sort of an example of how perceptions um, sort of paint the way that we uh, our, our inner lives. They paint our uh, our outer perception. That's not a good way to say it. Our inner spiritual lives paint our perceptions. And the difference between outer work and inner work, uh, as Gary was pointing out, is sort of just a matter of perception. And um, it's not that you force your perception to change, uh, like Jim was pointing out. If there's a detail that is just constantly bringing 
brought up into your mind, it means that uh, there is something that you can look at there, that there is something on the inside that you can process and address and get to. And as you do that with the details in your lives, I think that naturally your perception goes from uh, you have to be doing all this outer work to just a sense of being where the outer work has no uh, pull on you. It's still getting done. Um, you're still paying bills, like I was saying. You're still uh, uh, blowing leaves out of your yard. But um, the reasoning and your perception of those tasks changes to uh, something that is more of a natural flowing of being, of a sort of a sacredness of your being. And it's just sort of uh, everything is done with love rather than done out of sort of a need or an attention to detail or an obligation. Those are my final thoughts. Oh, great final thoughts. Okay, folks, you have been listening to LL Research's weekly podcast, In the Now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our websites, llresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thanks so much for listening, and a special thank you to those who submitted questions. If you'd like to send us a question before the next show, please read the instructions on our page at www.research.org forward slash podcast. New episodes are published to the archive website every Wednesday at 1 p.m. We want you all to know that we love you very much. We hope you've had a great Christmas. We hope that your new year is full of inspiration, full of love, and full of joy. Have a wonderful week. 